0: that it's going to be recorded. Has it come up? Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Has it no. come
0: up? Yeah, right, Rob. So I think we'll just start off saying, like, how do we know each other? That's probably the best way to go. Yeah. Well, so,
1: you, want,
0: you want to start that? Yeah, so I'll start and then we, you can just chip in. So I met Rob when I s- went for my first drum lessons, uh 2019,
1: 80, 2019, September of 2019.
0: Yeah, uh, and then we didn't really play drums that much, we just spoke about uh, psychedelics.
1: <laughs> well, I think like, we got to that after about six months, didn't we? I think, I think we I, did We did kind of play drums at first, but obviously, I, like, I, I got you as a, somebody who'd never played drums before, which is ideal for me because I didn't, didn't have preconceptions about. Learning songs and things, and uh, I could kind of start you with the basics. So I, I, I like that, and I got on with it straight away. So yeah,
0: we, we, yeah. we had uh, similar personalities and similar interests, so we just got along more. And it, it went from like playing the drums to then just sessions where we were just talking to each other. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So obviously, the podcast about being sober. Uh, I was at the time I think I started doing um just a year not drinking and I remember saying to yourself, Oh, I'm doing this thing not drinking, and you were like, Oh, I've been sober for fucking five years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I
0: mean. So uh what kind of in would you say, what was the first thing that inspired you or made you make a decision to kind of sort your shit out and go on a path of uh being sober?
1: Well, I think I was aware I had a drink problem when I was a teenager uh, because like obviously I I was aware that it was causing me problems and uh, and like my dad would never pull any punches with me and said you've got a fucking drink problem Rob you don't drink like other people you 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 get absolutely hammered you get brought home in a comatose state by your friends it's chaos like and uh and I think I first tried to quit drinking when I was about 21 and uh I lasted, like, a few weeks before I surreptitiously went and had a drink. Uh, and then, then it was just back into chaos, like, times ten. Yeah. <laughs> and and, uh, and then I think I, t- I managed three months when I was 25. Because, again, like, by 25, I was under no illusions. I was a serious alcoholic living in abject squalor. Like, you wouldn't believe the situation I was living in. Uh, yeah, where, where were you living I was living in a flat a council flat in uh, Worsley Mains in Wigan no. it was uh, like it was just degenerate and uh, graffiti all over the walls and not a door on 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 the door frame and the hinges you know they'd all been smashed off at some point and various states of like not being able to see the floor for cans and all that kind of thing and it was like rats living in the kitchen and mice living in the in another little room, you know, and it was just I always had parties around there and people around there all the time, and it was just general debauchery and like squalor I was living in. Um, so like I tried to uh give up drinking in 2005 when I was 25, um, and I managed three months and then and then went to Australia to visit my brother. and I knew in my head I'm gonna drink again, so when I got over there, you know, I did end up drinking again. Uh, and then I spent another two years, like, knowing that every drink I have is a thing that's fucking me up, but not being capable of uh, of uh not doing it, you know, not having that every single day, I'd tell myself, wow, this is the day where I stop. I know it's this fucking me up. This is the day I stop. And then at some point during that day, I'd sit, be sat there with a drink in front of me yet again, going, well, there you are again, dickhead. You, you're drinking again, and... After the first one, all bets are off and I'm away again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2007, it had like reached a head and I was, my mental health was absolutely at rock bottom and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'd I, like tried to kill myself a few times and things like that. Um, and i have moved away to Sheffield as well with a, a girl I was seeing at the time and uh as a means of fact, like, thinking, oh, it must be Wigan that's doing it to me. It must be the place and end that's doing it to me. And it wasn't. It was my own head. That, you know, you take your own head with you every, everywhere you go, basically. So then I was just a lonely alcoholic in a city where I didn't really know anyone, rather than a lonely alcoholic in a town where I did know loads of people, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Uh, so yeah, I ended up back in Wigan. And uh, I, like the last time I had a drink, I... Went to the pub early in the day with the, every intention. I thought, I'm just going to drink myself to death. <laughs> I've, had, I've had enough, you know. Um, and I've was at, I've been at the pub all day and then I went and got a bottle of vodka and was drinking that and all gets quite hazy really. But I ended up back at my mum and dad's house um, and I ended up uh, kicking off big time on my mum and dad and pulling a knife out on them. Uh, and threatening to stab him, and then getting into a fight with my brother and the police came and I threatened to kill the police and all this kind of thing, you know. Uh, they they gave me a bit of a, a kick in, I think, which I deserved and threw me in the back of the van and took me down to the police station and I woke up in the cell. So I woke up in the cell and uh, it was like, this is... You've two choices here. You've got a fork in the road, if you like, here. you can either go and... Carry on drinking and you, you'll be dead soon. Because I was convinced, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill myself through some means or another, but I'm not going to last very long because I'm going down a bad path. Or I can actually stop drinking. And and now is the time I want to I do it. So from getting out of the police station to retracing my steps, finding my wallet, which was up at the mate's house, and then getting back to my mum and dad's. I've decided like that I have to stop drinking and I want to stop drinking. I want, I've had enough of it. The pennies dropped with me that everything bad that happens in my life is me plus alcohol. Me on my own. I've had the evidence. I've had the time off. I'm okay. Uh, and, and life's easier. Life's better. But so I need, and I can't do this on my own. I need help. So that's when I've decided to find some help and find like a support group for it. That was in 2007, so that was like my pivotal moment of deciding to stop drinking.
0: And that was the last time you. That was the last time I had to drink, yeah. 2007. Yeah. Because I remember when we talk about this, I get surprised because when when I obviously first met you, you were very outgoing, full of life. And it's like, I can't imagine you being in that state of mind. Now, because the way I see you, well, every time I'd come round, you're always so bubbly, and you're always so happy to to see me, and just to speak about life or whatever it is you've done in that day, or any, you just find any certain thing interesting. So, it's it's very good to see how you've come from that to where you are now. And it, when you were down in that period where you, you had uh, attempted suicides, did could you even see like a a light at the end of the tunnel? Could you did something keep you from pursuing like no? I, I want to I want to keep living. I want to keep going. Or was, were you just down down and out?
1: Well, obviously I didn't have the balls to actually kill myself. Um, I di- but I didn't really want to carry on living either. You know, and I couldn't see a way out of of alcoholism. You know, I couldn't fight. I couldn't see a way out. For myself, particularly the last two years of it, it was like every day I'm on this thing that I, I i can't see how I can get out of it because I've tried, and I've gone back to it and um yeah, I didn't really so sort of thought well what what can I do and i like i I guess like i've and I've heard a lot of other people at support groups and meetings say a similar thing, which is that it's like slow suicide alcoholism you, you kind of know it's killing you. And you know that what you're doing every day is taking you a bit closer to death, but you haven't you haven't really got um, got the bottle to just kind of string yourself up and do it that way, you know. So there was obviously something inside me that did want to still be alive. Um, and like a big factor of it was that I didn't want to quit drinking, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Conversely, the thing that's kind of making me suicidal is something that I couldn't face the future without alcohol, you know. It was like... It's like um, like being in love, you know. Uh, the you, the idea of that being taken away from me was was like something I just could the face at all. So no. yeah, there's definitely some irony in there. It's a funny thing actually, because like when I did quit drinking, it was like a bereavement to me. You know, when I made the decision, this is this is it, and I'm I'm not going to drink again. I don't want to drink again. It was like I'd, I'd lost something close to me that. And, I knew I was never going to see again. Um, and again, I think that's very common in alcoholics that once they take that step and uh, decide that enough's enough and they're going to quit drinking, it, it's like a bereavement. It's like it's like half of you is is, is gone that you're never going to get back.
0: Yeah. Do, you, do you feel that making that decision completely changed your outlook on life and the way that you perceive um, just every day? Life. Do you, do you ever have times where, or did you ever have times after two thousand seven when you stopped where it got difficult? Times got difficult, and then you wanted to drink again, or was it as simple as that's it? Now I'm not, I'm not making that choice. I'm not going to drink again. That's my choice.
1: Well, things definitely got difficult because life can be difficult, you know. And I was, I went through spells of like serious depression, and sometimes i still get depressed, you know. I think I've got quite a good handle on it now, but. You know, I've had tough times in my life. I have, I've had, um, like people close to me dying, and I've had, I've had like some fairly upsetting things happen. But what I got in my head early on is that all of those things are infinitely easier to cope with without alcohol. And that the idea of going having a drink would be if I want to make my life worse, in any situation whether my life good or bad at that point in time if i want to make it worse have a drink by all means because it will i can guarantee that if i have a drink it will make my life a lot worse and a lot less tolerable uh, very quickly like instantly it'll it'll make everything worse um, so i never i never really felt like uh, going having a drink again once i've made that decision that was it in my mind. I've made that decision, and that's what I was sticking with because I knew that I knew that that's not the answer. That isn't ever going to help me out with anything, you know. Um, so yeah, I've not really, I've never looked back in terms of looking back and wishing that I could have a drink or anything like that, because because I don't, you know. Um, I won't say that it, it stopping drinking did change my perspective on life. As regards alcohol and hedonism and all that kind of thing. But essentially I am still me and, and it was like I went back to being what I was before I ever started drinking, you know. And it's like I'd never, I'd never grown up from being like 13. So all of a sudden I had all these interests again that I had when I was 13, like interested in sports and I'm interested in music and I'm interested in all these things that, that I was interested when, in when I was a kid and I lost sight of through addiction, you know. So it was like uh, starting again, you
0: know. Yeah, I I think I can definitely agree. From when I stopped drinking for the first time in two thousand and nineteen, I, I I feel I realised that I just had all this free time because I wasn't going to the pub <laughs> and yeah. I wasn't I wasn't going to uh, part parties as much or yeah. I wasn't. Spending the the day after when I was hungover, lying in bed, waiting for the pub to open. It was, I had all this newfound energy where I could invest into my hobbies again and interests and just doing whatever I wanted, which is what I found so beneficial from stopping drinking. And then you're not, you also have this um, more money to spend on them interests because you're not blowing it (laughs) on it. Stupid night out or whatever it, you're actually enjoying your, your money uh, i think i remember being i think eight, 18 19 and I, I remember i would be say if i liked something uh, it would be a, a top t-shirt jeans whatever it was or a guitar anything that i wanted i'd be oh i don't want to buy that but then on a night out i'll be having a few drinks i'm like yeah let's get some egg bombs in Let's get all this in and then i will be like, oh, I've the fuck have I just spent £100 on the night out when I could have bought uh, something for my guitar or something that I would actually enjoy in the long period. Yeah. Uh, but I think having that experience when I, when I did drink at a younger age, um, I actually look back on that and take that as saying, well, I'm glad that I've done that and experienced that because I think you won't have... You won't be where you are today without going through them experiences, and that's what makes you realise that you don't like doing certain things.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so, what what benefits did you find from going to a uh, like support group? Did you find that before before you went to a support group, you were more doing it individually way? And I remember you said you had like your, your dad giving you a bollocking and the, the police or that situation, but. Yeah. Was it when you had a support group? Is that when you started to see a bigger change?
1: Well, I went, I've been through like statutory services and things and I'd, I'd had like counselling and i had been to see counsellors, but none of them, there's one psychiatrist or saw so in the hospital that told me, you need to stop taking drugs and stop drinking. <laughs> and I was like, oh, how can he say that? I have a mental health problems." but he was right. You know, I knew deep down, yeah, the guy's right. Um, and he, he definitely hit the nail on the head there, but I didn't, wasn't ready to hear that at the time. I didn't want to know that. I couldn't contemplate living a life without drugs and without alcohol. Um, and I guess, like, going to the support group I went to, um, for a start, I was very lucky that that group existed in Wigan at that time um, because it wasn't like... Um, I looked into, like, AA and there's like there was, like, a spiritual aspect to it that I think now, knowing what I know now and being as I am now I've coped with that but at the time I was like militant atheist I don't want anything to do with that kind of thing anything that even mentions spirituality or God or anything like that Um and I you know I think I, would, I could have put that to one side now and got more out of it but at the time it wouldn't have worked for me and I found this uh, group called Bragg which was run by a fella called Brendan Delaney uh, Brendan to me is an absolute legend you know I, I, I definitely uh, I owe him a debt of gratitude for my entire life because meeting Brendan was the difference between me giving up drinking and me not giving up drinking because every time I tried to do it before and I tried to do it on my own and with the help of people who weren't really alcoholics and didn't really understand where I was coming from, uh, I failed in it because I got bad advice basically. I quite often got told by statutory services counsellors and things, oh, you don't have to give up drinking, you just have to cut down on drinking, and actually, that's really bad advice for any addict, you know, uh, what you need to do is abstain, in my opinion, from the thing you're addicted to, Um, and what I found at Bragg was that Brendan is no nonsense and no bullshit, and because he's an alcoholic and a, a good, blagging, bullshitter of an alcoholic he was as well, he knows the bullshit through and through, so he cut through it completely and he was dead down to earth and honest with me and told me when I was talking shite and I thought yeah he's right I am talking shit um, And he me straight on a few things and I think going into a group like that where it was people from all walks of life who the common factor of them being there was that they were alcoholics who to some degree wanted to or another wanted to quit drinking um And I saw I went there and I saw, oh well that person's quit for three years, that person's quit for five years, that person's quit for eight years, that person's quit for thirteen years, and I'm here on week one and and I want some of what they've got because obviously it's possible. You know, before I didn't think it was possible. Mm -hmm. And I saw and and I just went there and shut up and I listened and thought and assumed that I know nothing rather than assuming that I know everything. And um going to a group like that and and finding, actually, I'm going to this group four times a week and I have a great laugh when I'm there because that's one thing I was scared of when I quit drinking. I thought, oh, I'll lose my sense of humour. I won't be funny anymore and I won't find things funny anymore and everything will be boring and it was far from it. You know, and I met all these interesting people with like real colourful characters with interesting stories to tell and, you know, I could tell them my own stories that seem really extreme to someone who hasn't lived that life. But, you know, when I went there, I realised actually it's not extreme to these people because they've all lived it as well. You know, they've all done this stupid, crazy stuff that you do when you're an alcoholic. Because it's just, you know, like we can, you can just, I'd tell them and they'd go, yeah, yeah, we've done that kind of thing as well. We've drunk bowls of our own sick because it was the only alcohol we had left. You know, that kind of thing. Which is like, it's, that's, Pretty extreme behavior, you know, but not to an alcoholic, <laughs> you know
0: what I mean. I, th- I think that when you when you're in that mindset, or when you're in that that period where you're just so, solely focused on getting that, oh, I need to get more alcohol, I need to get alcohol, then yeah, you, that you just look to them extreme measures. Um, yeah,
1: yeah.
0: So, what the benefit yeah. you've found from these sport groups? It seems that you've found. A lot of benefit through other people, yeah. and other people just giving you guidance and calling you out on your bullshit. Yeah, uh, I think a story I, I remember being in the the post house with one of my friends, and I was depressed at the time when I, I was telling him about it, and it the, it was the first time someone had said to me, just as cutthroat as part said. He was like, "Well, if I was fucking you, I wouldn't be drinking." and I won't be doing any drugs. was like, well, I'm not, I'm not doing anything about doing drugs. like, yeah, but you're fucking drinking, aren't you? Like you're, drinking, but you're clearly not putting as much effort into it as you, you think you are. And at the time, I remember being irritated at him. And I, I was, not for, for a while, I was like, he got in my head where he pissed me off because of what he said. But in the long term, that honesty, which I never particularly got from anyone, benefited me. Yeah. It, it might have been... Um, a, a closed-minded conversation from the start, but just getting that no-bullshit response kind of it like woke some, woke me up a little bit and thinking, hang on, if my my head's not in the right place, then I should probably do everything I can to n- make sure I continue to be better. And for me, it was, well, I've not tried giving up alcohol, so I'll try that, and once I did that, then I found that my life became better. Yeah. Uh, but I'd notice after a certain while when I, I'd, I'd be bored sometimes to fill up that time uh, of when I'd be going to the pub drinking or going out to Manchester or Liverpool. I'd, I'd be bored because I hadn't yet found something else to do. Um, whereas now, when I've I've, I've stopped again, so I, I you know I started drinking in June before I came to Prague again, and I, with that. I remember I, I was thinking in my head, oh, well, maybe I can. I, I can go back and have a drink. And I, I proved to myself that I can. Uh, I was able to drink again. and I was able to go out and have a decent time. But I just got, I was bored. i would be sat in bars over the past month and i would be like, it's not really that, that fucking fun this anymore because I've had that, that time off and I've found something better to do. Um, I don't enjoy it as much. Yeah. It's, I'd rather be doing other things with my time, which is what I found from stepping back from it and I know now that I just, I don't require that in my life, so what what hobbies and interests did you find again uh, once you stopped drinking?
1: Uh, well, I started uh, I mean at first I was like at a, a loose end and a uh, I went back to work sound engineering again which was like a big mistake because I was in a pub Um, and that wasn't really um, a good place for me to be. I was smoking a lot of weed as well which probably helped in a lot of ways. You know, it stopped me from wanting to leave the house for a start which is not a bad thing on a Friday night for an alcoholic, you know.
0: (laughs) 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 too far to leave the house. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it was funny funny it kind of helped me in that way but um, I think what I found is when I quit smoking five months after I quit drinking and I started going to the gym, I started training and I started going playing football again. So like, I then I, obviously I, I got into like obsessively exercising. <laughs> so yeah. I replaced one addiction or two addictions with another one, um, which resulted in me getting injured quite a lot, but I started eating like a horse as well. You know, I'd always been really skinny and I was like nine and a half stone when I quit drinking and then I took the alcohol away and I lost even more weight you know Uh, and then you know I bumped into a a friend of mine and he said I'll start coming to the gym and start training with me which I did and it started making me feel great you know and um, I started noticing oh, I look better I feel healthier I've put weight on I'm stronger than I was Um, and that that was it really I kind of replaced it with with exercise to a a large degree that was like the main hobby and then still had the music you know still played drums and still played guitar but I had like a I'd had a a kind of love-hate relationship with music at the time because I saw it as something that had kind of led me down this path of alcohol in a a large way because it it, the two things are quite inextricably linked really yeah Uh,
0: well it's it's like a the rock and roll fantasy isn't it living the rock and roll lifestyle um, yeah, yeah. So it, it does come hand in hand. Um, but yeah. when, when you, when, once you started playing again, when you started playing guitar or drums, did you find that you eventually actually got better at something what you wanted to actually be doing because you stopped doing, uh, stopped drinking alcohol? Yeah. Then, was that due to just the the found time, or was it just because you had this this new found focus?
1: That yeah, both I'd say both of those things and like p- particularly drums, because I kind of realized well drums are my instrument, and I can f- mess around on guitar and bass and things like that. I haven't taught myself to play bass a bit more, but drums i I've like really focused on and uh in a way that I've never focused on anything I, I don't think like exercise is kind of a it's a a fairly limited thing training. You know, I I learned to box and things as well. Boxing was a big thing and you can do that again and again. But the fact is, I'm I'm getting older in my 40s and, you know, you kind of have to wind back on those things a bit. You can't can't carry on boxing into your 40s because it doesn't punish you too much. But drumming, you can carry on for the rest of your life, I think. Uh, And and it's such a a deep subject uh, with so many different facets of it that you you, you should never stop learning. There's always some of them style of drumming that you haven't even thought about you know that's that's waiting around the corner for you and uh you know the deeper i've got into it it's the old adage isn't it the more you know the more you know you don't know you know <laughs> the bigger your knowledge is the bigger you, re- you you realize your ignorance is so as i've learned more and more <laughs> there's a, a, a way i've heard it put which is if your knowledge is a clearing in the trees and your ignorance is the trees that surround you, the bigger the clearing, the more trees that surround you, you know, so the bigger your ignorance is. <laughs> yeah. So when you stand there and think, well, I've grown my knowledge base as a drummer, and and I can see <laughs> this, 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 and this that I can't do, you know. i, I not consider to exist before, <laughs> you know.
0: I, I remember after uh, my, my drum lessons when I first started with yourself, But the main music that would inspire me was uh, Oasis. Um, When I actually started playing guitar, it was like Jig, but it was just really indie-based music. Yeah. And drums, I just thought they were there, and I didn't particularly listen out for them. And what I'd be listening to was basically indie music. And then I had, like, two or three lessons, and I think it was yourself and uh, Uh, Martin. Yeah. And, And... you just like yeah, snare on the two and four, <laughs> adding a to no and just keep the hi hat going and add the uh, the bass on the one and the one and, two and a three and and it, then it, that was it. And then I was like, oh fucking hell, I, I can never listen to indie music ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had, it was I'd, I'd appreciate different um, genres of music then. You know I mean, I remember saying to yourself that I thought jazz was rubbish, and now I listen, I find myself listening to it a lot more because there's, there's so many different drum techniques and patterns in there, and it's just a rabbit hole to go down. Yeah. But yeah, it definitely changed the music that I listen to, and my ear for music now is that I'll look out for records that have great great drums on there, which are just tight, have different techniques, whereas I used to just specifically focus on indie music because the the lyrics were nice and the the chorus was good. Yeah. Uh, So... Do you think overall, you've spoke about how people have, have helped you along the journey? Yeah. Do you think that your your personal relationships, for example, your your father, your your mom, or your relationship, or even your your child, have, have those improved drastically from quitting alcohol?
1: Definitely, yeah. De- with with the relationship with my parents is particularly um, like. My parents, by, by the time I, I got to quit drinking, it was basically with them either quit or we don't want to know you anymore, you know, because it was just one thing after another with them and like they, now I, I've got a kid myself. <laughs> Obviously I've got it's Leon's teenage years and things to come, but um like I, it must have been so hard for them to see the son in the state I was in and, and my mum said to me every day, the thought crossed her mind, I'll get a phone, fo- I could get a phone call today. Say that Rob's dead.
0: Yeah,
1: well, that was a realistic prospect for us. You kind of expected that to happen, really, because um, because they knew what it was like. But so with my parents, I think they're incredibly proud of me and what I've done, and I know that, and I know that I'm very grateful for them. To them for giving me like second and third and fourth chances because they did. You know, a lot of people gave me second and third and fourth chances, and I'll always be grateful for that. Uh, and I hope I, the best way I can repay that is to stay sober, you know. That's, that's the way I can do it. Um, I think, like, my nan, I, obviously my nan and granddad were, like, not very impressed with me, but my granddad had died a few years before him, but um, ended up really close to my nan in the end. And the last few years of her life, I was really close to her, you know, and, and um I'm really grateful um, that I... Managed to get sober enough to get to know her better, and she got to know me better, and she saw me as a, uh, a sober adult, you know.
0: The best of yourself,
1: would you yeah, say? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, she was really proud of me, and that that meant that meant a lot to me because every time I saw her, she'd be crying, and telling me how proud she was, and that that really did mean a lot to me, you know. Um, I think with my friends, like you, you kind of uh, you realise who your friends are. and Early on, like, there was a bunch of people who I consciously decided to not really hang around with anymore. Nothing against them as people, but they just weren't good company for me. You know, that's something I got from the support group, was that you're going to have to stop hanging around with your your drinking buddies because they're going to want you to drink again, and, you know, a lot of them do. And as it happens now, like, I look at my close friends now, and, like, a lot of my close friends are, are sober thinkers, basically. Like yourself included in that, and I think you kind of gravitate towards other people who are on the same wavelength as you, you know. Uh, Obviously, like Leon, Um, I had Leon when I was 34, so I'd been sober for seven years by then, yeah. Um, so I don't think, I think if I had a child when I, when I was drinking, it would have been an absolute disaster of epic proportions, and I'm really glad that I've had a child, you know, uh, when I'm sober, because it just me, I'm a better person for it, and obviously I'm a better father for it, you know, uh, and like, Leon now, he's six now, and... Um, he asked me, you know, about alcohol, and he, he tells me, oh, I'm never going to drink, Daddy, I'm never going to drink, because I've been honest with him, I've told him about my experiences with alcohol, and I, I don't expect him to never drink, I expect him to make his own mind up about it, but I think, you know, I grew up in a situation where alcohol was all around me, it was my family, everything we did was around alcohol, you know, so it was just completely normalised to me, where... I think for Leon, it isn't normalised to him. You know, it's normal to be in a sober environment, which is a good thing, I think. Because the society that we live in, it's normal to, I think, as a country, uh, this country has a very twisted relationship with alcohol, uh, where people are that kind of uptight, where they think they need a drink to be themselves, and they think they need a drink to have fun. You know, it's not true at all. You can have a great time sober. (laughs) You know, you, you, you know it. I know it. You know, I, I look at like my sober years as by far the best time in my life. By, by such a long way I've had, I've had better times. And that, that's not to say I didn't have a great time when I was partying, but that came with like, like you say, the days of being in bed, abject misery kind of things. And I don't have any of that anymore, you know.
0: You you momentarily that that rock and roll star you dreamed to be when you were thirteen when you <laughs> when you yeah. when are in the yeah. club and you just nailing jäger bombs and beak <laughs> yeah. you yeah. you feel amazing and then the day the day after and the, the following week you just like why the fuck did I do that why did I yeah. do it but it yeah it, it it's definitely I don't, I 100 don't agree that it feels better to be in a, a, a sober state yeah time it you don't have your, you can have momentary fun in different ways but i think overall it, it's just beneficial it it can be it can be sometimes boring initially when you start doing but when you find things to replace it i, I think you probably now i'm unsure if this it might be a a generalization or just a what's a what's the right word jump into conclusion you probably now don't think of alcohol that much. If I'm, would, would you say that's correct?
1: Or uh, Yeah, on a personal level, I don't consider it at all because it's just not something that I do. It's not something that uh, enters my sphere of thought. Obviously, it's, you know, I even work, I've gone back to sound engineering and work in a pub now, but I, I can kind of compartmentalise that in my head where I'm only there to work. I consider the fact there's alcohol about, but I just, there's a few ground rules I have with myself. I don't pick up a glass of alcohol. I don't buy any alcohol for anybody. So i never spend any money on alcohol. No. Uh, you know, I just have these ground I don't eat any food that's got alcohol in it. Um, I just kind of have kept these. I don't, I wouldn't entertain the idea of having like a non alcoholic beer or anything like that. I don't know anything that pertains to alcohol because it's just not relevant to my life, you know. Uh, Everything good that's happened in my life has has generally been uh, a result of me quitting drinking, so, you know, I'll just cut it out completely I don't really consider it, you know. Um, Go on.
0: You mentioned before about England's relationship uh, with alcohol. How do you find meeting new people um, or just when you'd be saying to people, oh, no, actually, I don't drink, what reactions do you normally get?
1: Well, it depends, really. Some people, uh, I think less so now, because I think there is a younger generation of people who are less inclined to be the, like, arch hedonists that my generation were, were and still are in some cases, where we grew up in, in the 1990s, and it was like, you know, pure hedonism, like that was the, the dumb thing. And I think now, because, I think part of it is because you've there's somebody filming you on a smartphone all the time, and I think of all the stupid stuff that we got up to that I'm really glad nobody ever filmed. You know, people have to keep their wits about them a little bit more now. And I think at first, some people are funny with you. You know, there's been quite a few occasions where I've, I've been, in the past, Talking to women and things, and they've said, Oh, you've come for a drink. And said, Oh, actually, I don't drink. And, oh, why don't you drink? And I, I've always been completely honest about it, saying, Because I'm an alcoholic. And yeah. that, obviously, some people want to run a mile when they hear that, but they're obviously not the right people for me, you know. Yeah. It doesn't really bother me one iota. Um, I don't right. really give a fuck what anybody else thinks about it. <laughs> so, on the, on the whole, I think quite a lot of people are like, Oh, well done. Good on you. You've, you've done really well. Giving up drinking, and uh, and some people say, "Oh, wish I could." And maybe we can have a conversation around that. You know, uh, there's a I've got like a, a list in front of me of things I learned at the meeting, and it's like a a, a method um, of how to live your life in a sober way. And yeah. one of the things on the list. Is that the people who mind don't matter, the people who matter don't mind. And that if somebody minds the fact that I've given up drinking and thinks less of me for it, they don't matter to me. <laughs> 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 people who do matter to me don't mind that I've given up drinking and taken this path, you know.
0: Yeah. I think I can hundred percent agree. I've I've yeah. found myself where people have been like shocked or going like, Oh, come on, what Oh, you were so much fun when you'd be drinking. Or people who just go, oh, "Why not? Come on, come on!" It's the people the that can kind of stand out a lot more than the positive comments that you get, where people are supportive of it. So you yeah. can't. I can tend to focus more on that, that more on the negative rather than the positive. But yeah, I'd, I'd agree that people. I don't know if it's just particular England. I'm more surprised when you decide not to be drinking, than yeah. just fitting in and and doing it. Uh, so w- when you had the the support lessons, the, so what you said there, that that quote, did they yeah. give you a like a moth? That was the motto to live by. Well,
1: that, that was that was like some, one of the things that came up at the meeting, and it wasn't really when I started the meeting. It wasn't like a list. Per se, and that was something that was developed while I was at the meeting, because obviously while I'm there, I got to know people there really well, and eventually, like, after not long that, you know, Brendan said, you get it, Rob, you really, the pennies really drop with you, I can see you're somebody who's not going to drink again, basically, you've you've really grasped why you're doing this, you should open up your own meeting, so I did open up my own meeting once a week, which was... presented its own kind of challenges i didn't last that long with it i think i lasted like a couple of years with it before it was kind of it was a bit too much for me taking on everybody else's problems as well as my own but you know i was still going to the other meeting over in henley to brendan's meeting and uh like i, I i've got this list here I'll, I'll show you now if you can if you can read that at all
0: yeah you can you can read it out if you, if you yeah can. i'll
1: read it out to you yeah. This is like my own interpretation of the methods, And I know that uh, Sam, who's Brendan's cousin, moved over to Grimsby and he started a thing called Creative Start, using art to help addicts out, basically. And uh, is, he's got his version of the methods. I've got my version of the method. And like this piece of paper has basically been everywhere with me that I've lived since I wrote it down, which was like 2009 or something like that. So it's on the wall everywhere I go and, you know, every day, I'm, even if it's just subliminal, I'm reminded of it. And the first one is to make a choice. Cause if, when you're going to quit drinking, you have a choice to make. Are you going to quit or are you going to carry on? Cause if you don't quit 100%, you haven't quit. Yeah. So you haven't really made the choice. Are you going to, if you're going to allow yourself the odd drink, you've still got a foot in the door and you've not, you haven't really quit. You haven't really made the choice. So the number one thing is you have to make that choice. And that has to be the choice you live by. You know, you uh, you make the choice. So secondly, is tell the truth. We've touched on the truth before. Um, and I was a lying bastard when I was drinking. I lied to everybody around me. I cheated on women. I stole from my friends. I stole from my family. Um, I stole from shops, I was generally dishonest, I, I don't think I was a bad person, but I wasn't really a, ve- a very good person either, you know, I think justifying it by saying, oh, I don't think I was a good person, well, no, actually, I was a con. <laughs> you know, yeah. actually, I was a con. I was dishonest, I was unreliable, uh, I always had an excuse, it was always somebody else's fault, although I was very good at blaming myself for things that weren't my fault as well, and using that as an excuse to batter myself with more drink, you know. Yeah. So when I quit drinking, it was like, well, all of that goes, you know, I stopped behaving in that way. I stopped lying and I start telling the truth and I start being honest with myself and I start being honest with other people and uh, I stopped cheating on women and I stopped, you know, stopped stealing from people. And for a start, most of what I stole was like booze and money. You know, money so I could get booze because I was always broke, you know. Um, and all that went out the window when I stopped. When I made the choice, I started telling the truth, you know. Uh, that was like, that was a big thing for me. And then another one we've already touched on, which is number three on my list, which is you are the company you keep, which was when I said I, I decided, well, I can't hang around with those people anymore. And I've also... Said you kind of gravitate towards like minded individuals, and and like obviously, I've ended up really good friends with you. And you're somebody who's a sober thinker, you know. So, you are the company you keep. And if I go in the pub every day and I hang around with a load of alcoholics, I'll end up drinking again. Yeah, I
0: I also think that when when you surround yourself with people who are similar, like minded, and who you get along with a lot more and you share positive experiences with, then your life is going to ultimately turn more positive because you're just enjoying yourself more. You're surrounding yourself with people who you genuinely like and who are better for you. If you're cons- consistently surrounding yourself with people who are going to be putting you down for not drinking, then I can imagine it's it's more likely that you would go back to it. But yeah. I, th- I think it it is very important to have the people around you to to keep you sobering, to keep you on that path. Like yeah. I've, I've benefited from having you as a friend because I'd any times, because it was new to me, any any sort of anxiety I had in my head or any new thing that I had to deal with from stopping drinking, I always felt like i talked talk to yourself about it and I could bring that up. And yeah. it, you, it, it's like a <clears throat> common ground where previously that conversation would never happen. It would just be, I wouldn't even probably even think about talking about it. I'd just be like, oh, it, nothing. It's just a thought. But being able to find someone with a common ground and to talk about them similar interests when you're trying to benefit yourself, you find that you have like a, a mentor, which is what you've been to me. It seemed like you mentored me through that period of wanting to stop drinking.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's a good thing. I mean, I think Brendan at the meeting did say to me, he said, you know, those meetings for me, I, I got what I needed out of them. And then after about five years, I thought, well, I'm not really getting much from them anymore, so i stop going. Mm-hmm. You know, Brendan did kind of tell me that, that that would happen, you know, when he was right, that would happen. But what I find now is that like life is like a meeting if you sur- surround yourself with the right people. And, and like, you're definitely one of the right people because for me, you know, you can say that I've mentored you, but you solve a sober company for me, which reinforces my own sobriety. Do you know what I mean? Because you're yeah. a know, good person for me to be around in, in the same way. It's a mutually beneficial relationship that we have. And, uh, that, that's something where if you get the thing, if you get like sobriety right in in your mind, that your whole life can be uh, be be like a meeting where you, you're benefiting from it all the time, and you're talking about about sobriety, and you're talking about your mental health, and you, you're having a laugh, and you talk about the world, and not those kind of things. And um, you know that I think obviously us becoming friends is, is part of that to me, and I'm very I'm very grateful to you for that. You know, you exactly. might not even know that, but that's that's how I feel about it. You know. Um, exactly. So back back to me less like. Um, <laughs> number four, I've got. while well, we're on the meeting thing, you know. <laughs> number four, I've got is stay positive, which, again, you know, somebody I've struggled with a lot of negativity in my life and a lot of uh, depression, and staying positive about life and saying, well, you know, life's just a ride, isn't it? Why does there have to be a point to it? Why does there have to be a point? Why, you know, there's nothing I can do to alter things that aren't around me, so st- stop worrying about it, yeah. you know, stay positive about your own life. When I'm playing drums and I think, oh, I struggle to do that thing today, and there's things today I struggle to do, but, yeah, but you're in there doing it, you know, it's a positive thing, you made some progress on that and that, you played that a bit better yesterday, but, you know, you had the chance to be in there playing drums for four hours and be grateful for that, that chance, you know, Um Number five on the list is to avoid resentments because resentments is, uh, is something that alcoholics have a lot and it could be resentments about yourself. It could be resentments about your family. It could be resentments about other people who have things that you don't have. Whenever you find yourself resenting somebody else for something, it's always a good idea to take a step back and think, well, is that, that resentment will only ever lead to strife. It'll never get you anywhere. There's nothing positive about it. It's not a thought that's worth having in your mind. So let it go, because you'll feel better when you let it go. Um, and then number, where are having now? Two, three, four, five, yeah. six. Yeah. <laughs> <Three>. <laughs> Leon's better at counting than me. That's <laughs> <laughs> that. Um, avoid comparisons, which I think is a big one, because you can always, as an alcoholic, you can always find somebody worse than yourself. Right, you can always say, That person's a worse drinker than me, therefore I'm not that bad. Therefore I could be able to drink again. So <laughs> yeah. Bullshit patently, isn't it? You know. So you can take it in that context in alcoholism, but you will always find somebody worse than yourself and you'll always find somebody better than yourself.
0: Yeah.
1: But you can also extrapolate that out into life and say, Oh, that person's wealthier than me and I can pay myself to them and belittle myself next to them because they are this apparent thing that's better than me but again that's bullshit nobody's worth more or less than you you shouldn't look down on anybody any more than you should look up to somebody you know we're all we all have our place in the universe and without all of us as individuals the the universe wouldn't be as it is we're all essential you know we're all we're all worth the same really so any comparison you have and any, any comparison you're told to have that. This person's more important than that person. Is bullshit. So let it go. All <laughs> mental health. All <laughs> Western consumerism is predicated upon that particular piece of bullshit. So you know, sooner we all let go of it, the better for the planet as a whole. Really, yeah. I think well,
0: that's the the um for like capitalism for c- consumerism. It's the the desire to want more, and it's the you need. Yeah. You need this. You need the better. You need better, better. You need the best version of this. Yeah. And sometimes it's fine to say, hey, so "I'm just fine with, with what I've got." Actually, what I've got is pretty fine. Yeah. Um, and th- there are people like that. I mean, one of the, the one of the reasons uh, when I stopped drinking when I was in Vienna with with Christina was that I was in this club and everyone's got these. You know, nice branded clothes on and they're all kind of looking at each other looking up and looking down at each other and they just compare it's like they were just comparing each other like who's the person because of what fucking brand they've got on the t-shirt or what fucking shoes they're wearing yeah doesn't matter at the end of the day it's just as you say everyone's important everyone's playing their own vital role in the universe so just got to leave people to it that's
1: it man and i think like you say that the corollary of like thinking that you're better than somebody is that you also think you're worse than other people. And you just walk around with your head wrapped tight in this knot. You know, and you're not thinking in a sober way. Sober people don't think about the world in that way. They don't judge people in that way. You know, they don't, they don't look at somebody and think they're worth less than me or they're worth more than me. They just are who they are, you know, They they live their life according to their own standards and not not some other standard that they've been told to have by somebody else. Um, so, yeah, number seven on my list, in which, we, again, we've already been through, is the people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. And I think we've yeah. been through that section already that, uh, you know, if basically stop giving a fuck what other people think. <laughs> <laughs> people who matter on the other hand, the people around you who are close to you, what they think does matter. Yeah, you know what they think does matter, and if they tell you, you know, you out of line, uh, your behaviour was out of line, or you you you're thinking down the wrong lines, you're probably worth listening to those people, you know.
0: Yeah, well that that's what might momentarily hurt you. That that honest truth someone's going to give you, yeah. but you you notice that that's for the benefit of no one but yourself, really.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah.
0: Uh, did you say a, is there a, another rule the last one on the
1: list is number eight It's it is sobriety is a state of mind which again i think we've touched on yeah. in other words if you follow these rules then your your life can be good because your state of mind is good and you're living a sober life and you're living in a you think about things in a sober way and you don't make rash decisions and you Stand back and think about things before you do them and you appreciate what you have and you appreciate what other people give to you, you know, um, and you just appreciate the fact that you're alive and appreciate the place you're in. It's sober thinking, you know, and then again, like I said before, I went to Sheffield, I moved to Sheffield thinking I've got to get out of Wigan, it's Wigan that's doing me in. Well, it's my own head that was doing me in. Now, I think I could go anywhere and I'd be all right because my head's all right, you know. Yeah. So wherever you go, you take your head with you, don't
0: you? Yeah, you do. i <laughs> yeah. splitting up with my ex-girlfriend, and that was a shit relationship to be in. But the way I perceived that was that well, if I split up with her, then my life's going to get ultimately better, which is what happened for both of us. But there was a moment of she was coming round to my house to get her stuff that she'd left over summer because she was staying in Canada and I'd gone out I'd been on coke I'd done a pill and I had MDMA and I think I got in at about half six in the morning and she was coming getting the stuff at about 10 o'clock in the morning and I was like Whoa, what a great idea this will be to finish off this bag of MDMA by sniffing it and then I was doing that and then I was just I was lying in bed just like shaking, like why why the fuck did I think that was a good idea? And then when when she came, I had this horrible sinking realisation of when I was looking at her and if I could point to say all these bad things that she'd done to me, it was that I split up with this person to get my life better, but what I've actually done, it seems to be I'm the one who has a bit of a problem that I need to get under control. Um, and it was it was one of them moments that kind of stand out to me from being on a path of trying to sort my shit out yeah. that, that really yeah. stood out to me and I, it was kind of like I could make uh, a choice and that I'd, I'd always go back and think of that moment as kind of a, a small pivotal moment of what, what my, my thinking was like uh, because yeah. I, I, I can't say that overnight after that I changed but it left uh, that memory there, which I could think back on and go, oh, hang on a minute. Can you remember when you did that? You, you tried to beat yourself and you you shot yourself in the foot there. You're not this um, perfect person who's going to be sorting themselves out straight away. Yeah. Uh, so I had to had to reassess from doing that. Um, one one thing I'd like to ask because uh, we've spoken about psychedelics, um, yeah. in our <laughs> in our time as being friends, do do you think Any psychedelic drugs have had a profound or big impact on your change to sobriety?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, Just before I quit drinking, I've taken some ketamine. which and, And after I quit drinking, I took ketamine as well. And I definitely feel like that had a profound impact on my psychological dependence on alcohol and, and readjusted my relationship with alcohol at the right time for me. There was like a, a number of fortuitous events that happened that I didn't really recognise at the time, but now I look back on it, I realise, yeah, it was a good thing for me to do that, it was a good thing for me to do that, it was a good thing for me to do that, and all those things kind of uh, played into like the lifelong everyday commitment I have now to, to live in a sober life. Um, so, like ketamine definitely helped me, and that 's something where there 's been a lot of research done on it since then, and they 're now using it in, in addiction so you know um, i, I didn 't know it at the time it was probably still just chasing some hedonism on my part but actually it I think it helped me quite a lot and then rather than with other drugs it just did them and did' them and didn but with ketamine i once allowed had it enough where I thought this is getting boring now. I stopped and never went back to it again um, because I thought, well, I've got everything I need out of it. I'm not addicted to it, um, and it definitely made me kind of readjust the way I think about things. Um, another one that that's helped me out because uh, you know quitting drinking is kind of part of my story of addiction. I'm an addictive person. I have an addictive personality and. You know, I've been bounced on and off with, with drugs and i bounced on and off the smoking weed. And, you know, I got diagnosed with ADHD. That was another thing. So I got prescribed um, Ritalin for that methylphenidate, which is quite a powerful stimulant. And I've had quite a problem with stimulants in the past, with speed, cocaine and things like that. So um, I got prescribed that. And, I, you know, again, I started doing it and I was back into the chasing it and crushing up the tablets to get, get me more high and all that kind of thing. Really, mm-hmm. I was just chasing it high. Um, and, yeah, I did some DMT up on Billings Hill on my own, mm-hmm. and it completely wiped the slate clean <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. wanting to do anything psychoactive. And, and so I think that was in 2017, yeah. as far as I haven't touched anything psychoactive since then I'll I tell a lie I think I've, I've eaten I ate some cannabis butter last year which was a, <laughs> like a, a, I wouldn't call it a mistake but it wasn't the wisest move and I decided that was it for me yeah. With that, I wasn't going to do it again uh, there's nothing in it for me you know. but yeah DMT definitely is something that I've, I've done like twice in my life and it, it wasn't um, recreational; it was very therapeutic for me. Yeah. Uh, definitely, like wiped the slate clean, solved a lot of problems in my life. I yeah. listened to it and did what it told me to do, <laughs> and it was well, my it.
0: Can you can you walk me through that trip when you solo on and Bill and Chill? Smoking? Well, what was the experience that you had?
1: It was basically like I, 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 I smoked it, and then obviously everything. I noticed that everything was in fives and sevens, so that's the way I can describe it. You know? all <laughs> Everything started spinning in fives and sevens. <laughs> and everything, you know, turned to kind of hyperspace and I shot out into this hyperspace um, realm of where I only existed as pure um, information and it didn't exist in so much as everything else existed and everything is just pure information and I am... Part of this pure information, and it was like every thought that you could ever possibly have. I could think, I was thinking all of those things all at the same time, you know. Yeah. But I don't know how long that lasted, but it was just like colors and information, and uh, and me being having this like infinite awareness is what I describe it as. Of Be, being infinitely aware of of, of what everything is. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only well, way I could really describe it.
0: So after that,
1: well, yeah. I came, as I kind of came back through the tunnel, back into my body as I am now, and I came back together as 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 me because in that. Me, there was no me everything was just information <laughs> you know um, and when I came back into being some of these thoughts dropped into my head with me you know and one of them was like quit your job <laughs> um, quit taking Ritalin quit smoking weed quit fucking worrying about all the shit that doesn't matter stop frowning and laugh I'd go and see a doctor because your throat's fucked. <laughs> <laughs> so quit my job. <laughs> quit smoking weed. Quit taking Ritalin. Um, I started laughing my head off. You know, I saw some grass and it was just really funny how green it was. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck am I worrying about? Really, what am I worrying about? Fuck, I haven't got sober for, for this to be walking around angry and with a frown on my face all the time and you know concentrate on the things you fucking love doing not concentrate on some shit that doesn't matter you know and i did go and see a doctor that he said oh i don't like the lucky tonsils and ended up um, being tested for cancer and all this kind of thing fortunately i didn't have cancer but i did end up having my tonsils out which was a good thing you know because what what was up with it was could have turned into cancer so and actually my health has been a lot better since then you know, my physical health's been a lot better since that, uh, as well as my mental health. So that was that was kind of my my DMT experience in a pathetic little thing, because <laughs> it was <laughs> obviously it's, you can't really you can't really describe it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I think that with a lot of uh, psychedelic drugs, it, it's it's hard to put into words the experience. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah it's, I- because. It, you're in a
0: reality that isn't this reality yeah <laughs> it <laughs> yeah but it's also like you are know, i'm like i always feel i remember when i when i take an lsd i felt like i was on the border of reality if that makes sense it was like i was somewhere in the middle of yeah. what's real and what's not real and i yeah. was like I went more to the what's not real, I'd be crazy. And I was like, okay, stay more to this. Stay more to what's real so you don't go nuts.
1: It It does ask you some interesting questions about the reality that we, we inhabit day to day. Of what's real and what isn't real. And in terms of your own perception. What we perceive is only a fraction of what's really there. So... What we can't perceive is that not that's still real. Mm. Just that we can't perceive it. So that when you do some psychedelics and your perception is opened up and bits of your brain talk to one another that didn't talk to one another before, since you were a child probably, it feels very real when you're in it. And, and, and like, I think ketamine and DMT are two of the most intense ones as far as that's concerned because. Like acid, you kind of still hear, you know, it's not like, whoa, I saw a, I saw dragons and a, you know, you kind of still hear, you see the wall breathing and you see the earth moving and you see depth thing things where you didn't see that before. I, but, I saw a
0: giant robot bottle, battle on a pub car park, man. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: but, I'm pretty sure it was real, man. What the fuck's going on outside?
1: That's the two-headed hamster that I was, I, there were three of us there, and we all witnessed it. It was <laughs> <a> real, man. <laughs> but, uh, but, like, ketamine had flown through the universe on an infinitely large beige square. <laughs> I wasn't me, I was dead, so, you know, <laughs> felt quite real to me at the time. Was, but, it,
0: uh, <laughs> was that the uh, story where you're in the... Apartment and he had the. Uh... That's
1: the one, yeah. When I looked down, it was actually the, the carpet was like little base squares, and I was looking at one of them. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> but yeah, DMT, again, you, you know, <laughs> there's like a commonality of experience of people who do these things that they go into this hyperspace and they experience other beings. And I, I didn't necessarily experience these other beings, it was just experience like, but what was presented to me of this, this information was an otherworld world information. It wasn't like information from my own head, necessarily. You know, it was like a deeper truth to things. Um, and I, I don't know, but what I do know is that your perception of reality is different to mine. Mm-hmm. So is yours any less real than mine? Uh. Or oh, is it's reality itself like a transient thing? I don't
0: <laughs> I don't know <laughs> to be honest I think mean, I think this yeah everyone perceives it. it's your own perception of just how you, I think the same we could see the same thing but we could interpret it in different ways um, yeah. and I think that's especially if you do psychedelics with somebody I think that can kind of be um, shown in that trip but I've done a magic mushroom trip with one of my friends and we both taken different things from that trip yeah um, so this was actually the, the first time when I said to myself um it was I was on a, a, a trip doing magic mushrooms I just turned to my friend I was like why am I why do I drink and I was laughing I was like I don't even like it I, don't, <laughs> I was like why <laughs> do I I was like blown away I was like why do I think I don't even like it and he was like I don't know why you do it. I don't know why you're asking me. And I was like, I don't know why I do it, to be honest, mate. And it just that it was one of them moments where the main thing I took from that was that me not wanting to drink, whereas he took his own little thing, what he was dealing with from his trip. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's just it really. It's I think the psychedelic trips are so profound because it just. Completely can change your perception on what you thought was real. Yeah, Uh, I think that brings in more of the uh, the spiritual aspect to it. Yeah, like you mentioned before about uh, some of the support groups had like a spiritual side to it. Uh, Does that now, after well, after doing like psychedelics, could you see more of a spiritual side in the pursuit of sobriety
1: well I did a lot of psychedelics when I was drinking as well I did like a a large amount of acid when I was drinking (laughs) far more than I did after I stopped drinking Um, and really like uh, spirituality is something that the problem I had with with, uh, the the version of spirituality in AA was it seemed to be focused around organised religion which is something I'm interested in but now, I look at it in a different way. It seemed to me to be like that at the time. But now, when it talks about a higher power, I was like, "What? that really must mean God. Well, no, actually, the universe is a higher power than you or me. We are part of it. We're just a little fraction of it. We're not even a fraction of it. We're just part of it, you know. But yeah. there is a universal movement that we can do nothing about. So there is a higher power. And you have to accept the fact. The outside your own kind of sphere of, of of being, whether that's kind of like your own body or your sphere of influence and other things, you can, nothing you can do about world events and things like that really. They're gonna happen regardless of what you think or do. So that's um that's what i now take to mean a higher power, you know. And um I kind of I read up on like, on something called, um naturalistic pantheism, which would be that the, the universe itself, the universe creates itself, uh, and we are part of the universe, of the create, the creation of the universe, you know, uh, the universe creates consciousness in order to experience itself, and we are part of the universe experiencing itself, that's kind of out function in a way, is conscious, entities are entities that perceive consciousness Um, and the thing is with naturalistic pantheism it does away with the need for a separate god that's separate from the universe because why would that be separate from the universe why do you need to invent an entity that's outside the whole that we are part of doesn't make any sense to me it makes more sense to me that um, the universe creates itself you know the work that also creates us. Um, so I think that's like a, a, a very kind of brief, probably slightly wrong um, overview of naturalistic pantheism. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> <like, equate>, <laughs> that's kind of the route I went down and I realised, well, there's all this layer of intuition and this layer of reality that can't be measured because you can't measure love, you can't measure... Emotion, you can't really. doesn't matter what form you're feeling. Do you feel this love one least strongly to five, most strongly? Well, I don't fucking know. It's just, it just goes up and down. <laughs> you know, I just feel it. You know, there's no point trying to quantify those things. Like science is never going to have the answer for those things. Science is never going to have the answer to what your dreams really mean or what, what the intuition you feel about another person. You know, it doesn't matter what box you put those things in or how you try to quantify them. There are, there's a, an awful lot of the universe which is just unquantifiable. And That, to me, is, is kind of spirituality, you know, without having to invent anything, to say, oh, it must be God who did this, or it must be a devil that made you feel like that, or it must be an angel that made you feel like that. Well, I don't think you need to invent anything to know that those things are still relevant to your life, that... You know, the things that you can't touch, you can't quantify still exist.
0: Yeah.
1: Still exist in the universe. I,
0: I remember one of the things he said to me, which stood out to me, was saying that we're all on this trajectory and you're going to end up where you end up. And so there's no, there's no particular point of like stressing out or freaking out over like what's going on. It's just go with the flow yeah. and appreciate what's going on around you because you, you're going to end up where you end up. There's not yep. particularly much you can go about. And then this is where you tell me that free will, free will doesn't exist. And it could uh, it absolutely baffles my brain. Can you uh, explain that one?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that's <laughs> another side of it. I mean, again, I've been thinking a lot about this recently and how right I was in my conclusion that there is no free will. Maybe the premise of me coming to that conclusion, something was wrong in that, but then again... You could definitely have the will to change your own mind and to change the way that you perceive things. But I don't know how much power you have to actually influence the material world or whether I was in the pre-plotted path you're on. Um, my kind of way I came to thinking that we don't really have free will was by I was driving to work one day and I thought, well, you know, we know with total certainty what time the sun's going to come up in Wigan on every day of the year, for every year that you could possibly imagine, because we know the parameters of of where the sun is, where the earth is in relation to the sun, where the moon is in relation to the earth, the different cycles the earth works around, because they've been kind of worked out, you know, different way the earth rotates, different ellipses of the earth's orbit and all that kind of thing. So we can predict with like real certainty, What's going to happen in the future, you know, because we know those parameters. So if you had the knowledge of where everything, every physical thing in the universe was, the trajectory it was on, the speed it was moving at, and its mass in relation to everything else, you could more or less predict with unerring certainty where everything was going to be and you'd know where everything had been which case there is no free will
0: because everything if you you, i'm
1: not but that that would require like that for that to actually happen and this is probably where it falls down that would require require you to be require an outside observer of the universe because you if you were within the universe there's no possible way you could know all those things So it's only a thought experiment, you know. There's no possible way you could know everything there is to know about everything in the universe. But if there wasn't like an omniscient being, they could predict it with total certainty. So Mm. just because we aren't capable of being that omniscient being, because we're not, does that mean that those things can't be predicted? Because we can't predict some things that we know about.
0: Yeah. You can put, yeah, you can put estimates on certain things happening and, well, for example, that's why people gamble on sports games and horse racing and whatever, because they predict based on the path of what can potentially happen.
1: They do, but they don't actually know, do they? Because they don't (laughs) know the parameters of those things that are happening now, really. That's why my, like, take on gambling is I I can predict that I'll never lose. I never, I never do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did, did you ever did you ever gamble when uh, we're drinking, or was that, has that never been? No, sick? I've
1: never been. So I needed the money for booze. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 with my, I always said I gamble with my life. I don't gamble with my money.
0: <laughs> <laughs> None of the pussy shit straight to the... Uh, yeah, okay. straight
1: straight to the hard stuff, yeah. So that, that's my... Uh, on the free will thing that's kind of my half-baked take on on free will and i think that there are some people far more knowledgeable than me that would agree with my conclusions and there are some people far more knowledgeable than me who would vehemently disagree with my conclusions so
0: yeah i I can't really disagree with you because i don't know that much stuff (laughs) i'll just let you speak
1: I definitely think that like we're just on it's just a ride we're on and, and none of these things really matter and, and like a lot of the things we do are kind of ch- apparent choices that we have that actually we were kind of always going to make that choice you know just <laughs> through our prior experiences led us to behave in a certain way you know fairly certain that 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 does happen <laughs>
0: yeah well uh, to be honest Rob I don't really have anything else to talk about from the sober perspective so right.
1: we kind of went off on a tangent for like the last hour there
0: I think it's alright I, yeah. <laughs> I was expecting that anyway uh, yeah. so cheers cheers for the yeah,
1: talk
0: no worries
1: man yeah no worries good, good to speak to you uh,
0: yeah we've gone through quite a lot of uh, serious topics and had, uh, had a laugh as well which is yeah. very, so I appreciate it. Uh, I'll press stop on the recording now uh, yeah